And I want to welcome all our campuses today down at South Campus and Butte and Central and our new Pflugerville campus, which is now meeting in the Cinemark IMAX. Yes, with the big leather chairs that fully recline. No falling asleep on me today, all right? Now, we're actually, we're so excited for you guys meeting uh, over in Pflugerville and, uh, and all our campuses. And today we're talking about a very difficult but important question. And actually, here's the question I want to ask you. What if all it took were a choice for you to become a wealthy, generous person or with a choice you could become a wealthy, stingy person? Which would you choose? Before, before you answer. Now, I want to tell you about a couple of couples. I know a couple in Houston. I've known them for uh, probably most of my life. Um, and they are extremely wealthy by all measures. I mean, the large house, all the toys, and they got that way by hoarding or being stingy, or so they thought. Um, they've not been generous most of their lives, and now they're in their latter years, and I listen to their friends um, talk about them. Their friends like them, but they also joke about them. They, they poke fun at them with a pretty sharp edge, and it's, it's almost like there's a underlying jealousy or, or lack of respect that you hear their friends saying about them. And ironically, there's tons of jealousy over money in their family, even though they have so much money, it's caused terrible relationships in their family. And when people ask this couple if they'd be willing to give to help, you know, causes or people in need, they get angry and resentful. Now compare that couple to another couple I've known about the same amount of time, a couple in California I've known for over 30 years now. Um, they are wealthy too by anybody's standard. They became Christ followers uh, just a little bit before I got to know them, and I watched them progressively grow in this virtue of generosity. And you know, watching the admiration and respect and even love that people have for them from all socioeconomic backgrounds, because they're, they're, they're so generous. I mean, I've watched them bring people in financial crises into their home, let them live with them for months at a time. They, they use their money and possessions to, to help people. They honor God by generously giving to their church and to other youth organizations and organizations providing for the poor. They give their time to serve, not only in their church, but in, in other uh, organizations that they volunteer in. You know, if you've benefited anything from Gateway, you benefited from their generosity because they helped fund Gateway when Gateway was nothing but a vision. They are truly wealthy. And when I talk to them, they, they sound like it. They talk about how much God has blessed them, how they, you know, they have so much more than they deserve, how God's been so good to them, and how it feels so good to watch others share in their blessings. Now, let me ask you the question again. What kind of person do you want to be? You want to be a generous person or a stingy person? And now, again, before you answer in your mind, you're going to think it's not a choice, you're going to think it's, it's an issue of, of more. Like if I just had more money, if I had more freedom from my debt, if I had more financial security, I would be a generous person. But first, I've, I've got to get there. But what if it's simpler than that? What if it really is a choice? Like that you could decide what kind of person you will actually become. And, either, and that choice will either lead down the road toward becoming financially fearful, anxious, always feeling short, 
never really content, never enough for you, definitely never enough to grow your generosity, or a simple choice, and you become a person who feels so rich that you want to be generous, you're grateful, you're at peace financially, you're debt-free, you're content. You have more than enough to enjoy for yourself and your family and more than enough to generously bless others. Well, I want to show you where I believe God says it's simply a choice. And you can choose to become that person starting today. And that choice opens the door toward experiencing what we really want when we say we want more money. Now, why talk about more money in church? Because I know it, it puts people off, right? They're like, I don't want to hear about it in church. Here's why. Because I, I, I think you'll see, if you can keep an open mind and an open heart during this series, I think you'll see what we really want in more money is first a spiritual heart issue. And that's what I want you to see. And, and I know my you know, motivation for talking about this is going to be questioned. I get it. I've done this 23 years. But my heart really is that you would see God's heart for you and how uh, these principles we're going to talk about really lead to getting you what you really want. So first of all, let me say, it's not bad to want more money. Who doesn't want more money, right? I mean, money does make the world go round. But more money does not necessarily make you feel more wealthy or blessed or generous or grateful. In fact, you can have more money and still feel anxious, worried, stingy, unsatisfied. And that's not what you desire, is it? So we're going to talk about the problem of more money without more heart today. Because that is a problem. In other words, what we desire for more money actually comes from growing our hearts first. And in this series, we're going to talk about God's principles on all this. And do you know that God talks more about money in the Bible than about prayer? And it's because it's a heart matter first and foremost. Now, today I'm speaking to Christ followers. If you're just here checking out faith, you don't even believe in Jesus, and you don't believe what the Bible teaches, I wouldn't expect, I would expect you to think this is crazy. But if you're a Christ follower, I want you to consider maybe God is really after my best, even though some of these principles may seem upside down to what I've grown up hearing. So let's talk about the, the first of these principles. And the first one may shock you, but principle one is God is a giver, not a taker. And it, this is so important to understand, especially when talking about money in church, because so many people fear God wants to take more from me. Listen, if God wanted to take more from you, he would have already taken more from you, okay? God is a giver. That is so antithetical, such a lie about the character of God. Here, here's what it says. God so loved the world, he what? Gave. That's the character of God. Why? Because he loves you and me. He loves us. It's so important to understand. And he gave what? Everything, right? He gave everything a human could value. It goes on. He gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have life, an eternal quality of life. And then it goes on and says in Romans chapter 8, he who did not spare his own son, he didn't hold that back. He gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? What's included in all things? 
all things, right? I mean, even more money. God's not trying to take from you, but what God wants from you and me first is that we'd have more heart. See, that's what God cares most about, your heart. God wants your love, your trust. He wants your security and your worth and your peace rooted in him because that is that actually will give you that, whereas there, it's a lie that more money is gonna give you that. It won't give you more security or love or worth or peace, but it promises that and causes us to not be willing to trust God. So God is a giver. First, most important thing you can understand. And that, friends, is why God doesn't force generosity. Notice he wants his churches to operate on a principle of it's free. Give if you want. What other organization does that? It's your doctor's office? No. Grocery store? No. Gym? No. God is a giver. And he, he doesn't force generosity because generosity can't be forced. It's a matter of the heart. And that, by the way, is why here at Gateway for 23 years, we have never pressured. We always take the pressure off. Don't feel pressured to give. We don't guilt people into giving. It's not God's way. So principle number one, God is a giver. If you don't really believe that, none of the rest of this will make sense. All right? So wrestle with that. Do I really believe that? That God is first a giver. Principle two, and God desires more for you. He does. He wants you to have more, but more in a way where you feel truly rich in every way. And that, friends, is a matter of the heart, not a matter of an, uh, an amount. Here's how it explains it in 2 Corinthians 9. Each person should give what he's decided in his heart. See, it's a heart matter. In his heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Some of you thinking, I'm off the hook because I'm definitely not cheerful about this, right? No, it's a heart thing that he's trying to work on us. Okay, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you'll abound, you'll overflow in every good work. You'll be made rich in every way so you can be generous on every occasion. Do you see what this says? God wants you rich in every way. It's, it's this picture of when you so open your heart and your mind to God and his grace that you have this growing sense of security in every area, not just monetarily, but in every way so that you have more than enough money to be generous. You also, though, have more than enough time so that your attention or assistance isn't with reluctance. You have more than enough love so that your care and concern for others is out of an overflow. You do things because you actually have love in your heart. You're full, overflowing. And who doesn't want that? An overflowing, generous person is an attractive person. You know, my friends David and Kay Moore have, have lived by these principles that we're gonna be talking about in this series. Not only generous toward us as a, as a church, but they're, they've been overflowing, generous toward everyone they meet. And they, they had this favorite restaurant that they would go to all the time. And they would give way over the expected tip. Uh, to their servers. And two of the servers, they, they saw over and over again these two women and, and that struck up conversation because they were, you know, so generous and then they ended up building a friendship and, and these women, one by one, opened up to them. They ended up counseling. They ended up sharing their faith with them. They invited them to Gateway. Both of them ended up coming and coming to faith in Christ here at Gateway. All because of the attractiveness of this generous, overflowing 
couple. Generous people are attractive people. And that's what God wants. He wants you to feel overflowing, generous in every way. But that requires not just more money, but more heart. And so that's where principle three and the pivotal principle to understand comes in. Money has spiritual power. Money has spiritual power. Uh, you, you guys, hopefully by now, have seen either The Hobbit or The Lord of the Rings, because spoiler alert, okay? If not, it's, it's been out for decades, all right? So, so in, in the, the Lord of the Rings, you know, the, the central character is this hobbit named Bilbo, and he finds this ring, and, and the ring has this, this magic power. Now, J.R.R. Tolkien is a Christian. He's writing about the power of good and evil, Right? But the ring has this seductive power about it. It can make you invisible. And, and, and there's this alluring sense of wanting to use that power. But there's a temptation for every good person that the more you use that power to make yourself powerful, the more it starts to possess you, the more you start to obsess on it. And Gollum, this hideous creature who had the ring for years, called it his precious. That's right. And he talked to the ring, right? He loved the ring. He obsessed about the ring. He wrapped all his thoughts about the ring and it truly possessed him. And maybe you don't know this, but he was once a happy, content little hobbit, just like Bilbo. But the ring and thinking and trusting so much in the ring turned him into this isolated, lonely creature who lived in the dark. Now money has a spiritual power. Not unlike that, but it's confusing because, for instance, how many of you heard that money, the Bible says money is the root of all evil? Yeah? It doesn't say that. No. No, it says money is a gift from God for us to enjoy and use for good. Money's just a tool. Money actually is not. But it does say this in 1 Timothy 6, for the love of money. Very different. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. But then it also goes on to say this, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Don't miss that. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous. So this says that that, that God blesses us with wealth. He wants you to enjoy it. It's for your enjoyment, but it's also for you to be able to be richly generous. But we have to come to realize that there is a power that surrounds money, a spiritual force that, like that ring, can seduce your heart and start to possess you more than you possess it. That's the critical factor. That this thought that more money you know, it'll lie to you. More money can make you happy. Really? Are all wealthy people happy? If you still believe that, you don't know many wealthy people. <laughs> More money can give you peace. Really? Well, then why is the wealthiest nation on earth selling anti-anxiety medications? Highest selling. Doesn't make sense, does it? More money can give you security. Really? J.D. Rockefeller, when he was one of the wealthiest men in the world, is on his deathbed, and he's still obsessing with business and making more, and someone asked him, J.D., how much is enough? And he said, just one dollar more. See, the truth is, 
The love of money in a strange sort of way lures us in and wants us to live for it, to count it, to dream about it, to trust in it, to love it above all else. In fact, it's a rival God next to no other. And that's why God gives us warnings and principles in trusting money over trusting God because it can't make us truly rich, but God wants to. You know, Solomon, who was the richest man in the world in his time, writes this in the Bible from firsthand experience. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with his income. This is all meaningless. Now, just as a point of proof, okay, U.S. Bureau of Labor did a, a, a survey, and here's what they found. The poorest Americans as a percent of their income, gave 4.3% to all charitable endeavors. Now, this includes Christians, but this includes non-Christians, includes everybody. Okay, so people making 10,000 a year or less gave 4.3%. Now, you would think people making five to 10 times that would give at least twice that, right? Uh-uh, wrong answer. People making 50 to 150,000 gave less than 3%. The wealthiest, those who make 150000 a year to millions per year, gave even less, less than 2%. More money will not make you financially secure, wealthy, generous, or content. If you won't trust God to grow your generosity with little, you won't trust him to grow it with a lot. More money is not the answer. It starts with the heart. It's a simple choice. And Jesus warned us of this for this reason. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You can't serve both God and money. It's a choice. That's what he's saying. Do you trust God and God's principles first, or do you trust money's promises? It's a simple choice. And Jesus says it's important because it's a rival God. And not money, the love or trust in money over God. But it's a horrible God. It's a horrible God because it enslaves us to more fear, more anxiety, worry, debt, discontentment. It promises freedom. It doesn't lead to that. It leads to a type of bondage. Don't believe Jesus? All right. Then let's take a step back and just do an honest assessment. All right? And again, do a heart check during this series. Try to stay open so you maybe just consider another perspective because you don't get this perspective anywhere else. But just do a heart check, all right? Because here is the shocking truth. You're already wealthy. You're already wealthy by, by any comparison. But do you feel truly rich, grateful, content, generous? Because see, wealth is relative, Right? I mean, if you have a car or you have the means to own a car, do you realize you're in the world's upper echelon of wealthiest? If you make $1,800 a year, you are wealthier than 90% of the 7 billion humans on the planet. 90%. If you own a home or have the means to own a home, you're the top 5% wealthiest on planet Earth. If you make 47000 a year, or more, you're wealthier than 99%. You are in the top 1% elite richest on planet Earth. So, do you feel wealthy? 
Do, do you feel overflowing with blessing, you know, with, with contentment, with, with generosity? Do you feel overflowing like, like you have enough? Or instead, do you often feel enslaved with worry and fear about money? Like you never have enough. You can't seem to get out of debt. You can't grow your generosity. Just understand, God understands and he cares. And it's a spiritual heart issue first. That's, that's the whole point, what he, why he talks about this so much. Now, it's not wrong to have wealth like most of us listening to this do, okay? Again, by who we compare to. If it's the world, most of us are wealthy. King Solomon said this to us. When God gives any person wealth and possessions and enables him to enjoy them and to accept his lot and be happy in his work, it's a gift from God. This is not bad. It's a gift from God. But the gift is not just more money and stuff. It's the ability to be content and actually enjoy it and let it be a blessing. But there's also a responsibility that comes with it that we can't neglect. Jesus said this, from whom... Everyone has been given much, much will be demanded. From the one who has been entrusted with much, much more will be asked. I used to hate this verse. (laughs) I did, I hated it. I ran from it. I, I would just ignore it because I knew I've been entrusted with a lot. But here's the thing we need to understand. More is good if we grow more heart toward God first. God is a giver, first principle. He wants you to have more But there's a spiritual power you've got to overcome or it'll do your heart damage. So how do we do that? Well, these next three principles help us start to overcome the power, the negative power money can have. Principle one, uh, four, sorry, lose count. It all belongs to God, so be grateful. Gratitude begins to break that negative spiritual power money can have over us. We start to recognize all we have, life is a gift. And everything we have is a gift. So thank God for what you have rather than just focusing on what you don't have. It starts to change your perspective. Because look, here's the truth. It's all monopoly money, right? I mean, at the end of the game of life, all the houses and cars and board pieces and all the bank accounts, it all goes back in the box. That's why it says this, you know, um, For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. That's why you don't ever see a hearse pulling a big U-Haul, do you? Doesn't happen. It's not gonna help. We can't take anything with us. So God gives us this life and all we have as a gift and and it's a stewardship. It's, It's a tool that we can use to learn to better love God and love people even as we receive his love to enjoy it and and be a blessing to us and our families. So, God is a giver. He wants, more from us. he wants more for us. There's a spiritual power. And when we start to, to realize it all belongs to God and, and be grateful, it starts to break that. Now, some of you are thinking, it is not a gift and it does not belong to God. I worked hard for every penny. You have no idea. Maybe you didn't work. I worked hard. Okay, relax. Nobody's taking that from you. You know, and and, then God honors your hard work. But there's another truth that you may be overlooking. Did we really do it apart from him? You know, it's fascinating because uh, 3,000 years ago, God already foresaw that we might say this. 
And when he's leading the, the, the people of Israel through this testing time, then he says, now I'm going to lead you into a season of incredible blessing. But he gives them a warning that we probably ought to listen to as well. Here it is in Deuteronomy 8. God led you all the way in the wilderness those 40 years to humble and test you in order to know, again, here's what God cares most about. What's in your heart? When you have now eaten and been satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land he has given you. In other words, be grateful. That's the beginning to, to unlock this. But be careful you don't forget the Lord your God. When you eat and are satisfied, when you build fine houses and settle down, when your herds and your flocks grow large, when your silver and your gold and your Bitcoin increase, all of that's multiplying, right? Then your heart will become proud and you'll forget the Lord your God. And you may even say to yourself, get ready, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you even the ability to produce wealth. Have you ever even considered that? But yeah, I, I've worked hard, and that's good. I mean, and, and, and God honors that as well. But God created you and even gave you the ability to overcome what you've had to and to, to produce what you have. And he doesn't want to take from you. He wants to give you even more. But he wants you to be grateful, gratitude begins to reorient our hearts so that money doesn't possess us. The next two principles actually break the the heart-robbing power of trusting in money. Principle five, give first, not last. So it says in Proverbs 3, 9, many other places as well, but it says, honor the Lord with your wealth with the first fruits of your crops. So here's what God says. To those who claim that he is their God, he says, If you say you love me and you follow me first, honor me first. In other words, don't honor your mortgage company, your cable company, Starbucks, the gym, MasterCard, a savings account. And if there are any leftovers, then you give something to God. That's honoring self first and God last. That's honoring this insatiable need for more first and God last. He says, don't don't treat me that way. That's a heart issue. And he says, so here's, here's the test. Every paycheck... Will you choose first to honor God? First to give back to God. So it's give, then save, then live. And we'll talk more about this next week. God wants you to save. And it's wise to save and, and to invest and, and to think about the future. He doesn't, he doesn't want to hurt you. You know, that's the lie. Oh, he's going to hurt. No, it's not it. Go back to the first principle. And we'll, we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. But when we do this, it's, it's putting God first. Now, the truth is, we could still trust in money more than God and, and give something first. And so this last principle, the sixth principle, he tests our heart's loyalty with a standard that really does make us choose. Is it going to be God first or is it going to be money's promises first? So principle six is he says the first 10% is God's. So God tells Moses... 3,000 years ago, one-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart for him as holy. So again, he says, in reality, it all ultimately belongs to God, but he gives you everything for your enjoyment, and we can't really give anything back to God. The only thing we can give to God is our hearts, our trust, right? 
And so he says, so, so here's what I want you to do as a test of your heart's first love. Trust me more than money by choosing to take the first 10% and redirect it back to God to do his work in the world. That's what he's saying. And in fact, he says, that part's mine. It belongs to me. It's, it's what I want to set aside to do my work in the world. Now, I've done this long enough. I've heard seasoned Christians before argue, well, but that's the Old Testament law. And now we're in the age of grace. We've been set free from the Old Testament law. And you're right. You're absolutely right. Jesus came with, with grace so that we don't live by legalistic standards we, we live by God's spirit who sets us free to be like Jesus. Jesus didn't give 10% of his life, did he? He gave 100%. So yes, grace sets us free. You're free. But a better thing to look at and realize is God is trying to free our hearts. And there really is a spiritual issue here. And if you're really struggling with this, just be honest with yourself. What's going on in my heart right now? What is this really about? And just talk to God about it. Now, Jesus says this about tithing. This is New Testament now. So to the, to the religious he's, who, who were very careful about this, but they were missing the heart of the whole thing. He said, you are careful to tithe a tenth of even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law like justice and mercy and faith. You should tithe. Yes, this is Jesus. But don't neglect the more important things. So Jesus reiterates, you should tithe. Yes, this is, this is trusting God, all right? It's, it's his test of the heart. But you ought to do it out of a heart that's growing in love and trust for God and wanting to do good in the world, wanting to bring justice and mercy and faith to the world. And you see giving as an opportunity to partner with God to do the more important things. That's the heart God wants for you. You know, I remember when um, my son was about four years old, we were in Lakeline Mall, and, um, you know, we were kind of just hanging out while, while the girls were shopping, and I decided I wanted to treat my son, my little four-year-old, to my favorite candy. We go to the Jelly Belly shop, and I get him a one-pound bag of Jelly Bellies. And yeah, we're walking along, and he's just like shoving them in his mouth, you know, chipmunk cheeks. He's drooling those juicy, fruity flavors, and I'm just laughing. I'm just enjoying him, loving this candy that I love. And I said, hey, buddy, can I have a few? He goes, no. I was like, what the heck? Excuse me? And then, no kidding, he takes the bag. I'm walking here. He's walking here. He takes the bag over to this side and says, no, thank you. He's trying to be grateful. I mean, he's trying to be, you know, uh, polite in his greediness. <laughs> and I sat there and I thought, oh my gosh, my four-year-old needs a, a perspective check. Those jelly bellies aren't his. I bought them. A four-year-old can't buy jelly bellies. And, and you know, the, 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 the truth is, I bought them for him because I love him and I want him to enjoy good things, Right? And I could buy him more. I could bury the kid in jelly bellies and make him eat his way out. And I don't want to take more from him, but I want, more importantly, for him to understand who I am. I give him good things because I love him. I don't want to take from him. And I, and I can give him so much more, but I want him to have a heart that trusts me and isn't, you know, stingy. 
that he could share. And you guys, God's heart toward us is the same. And that's why he says, not only am I testing you in this sixth principle of tithing, he says, I invite you to test me. This is the only place in scripture that God says, test me. He says, I want you to test my goodness toward you when you put me first. To choose, you know, and I think, I think God does this because he knows our hearts, right? And, and so he also says, though, remember, he said, the first 10% is mine. It's, it's the way I'm going to do my work in the world. And so to those who knew he had asked this, that, that, that they trust him with the first 10% and said, no, thanks. <laughs> Here's what he says. Malachi chapter three. Should people cheat God? Yet you've cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord, I'll open the windows of heaven for you. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have room enough to eat it. You'll have to eat out of the jelly bellies. (laughs) Try it. Put me to the test. It's crazy. God invites you to put him to the test. So test him. You know, this is what I've said to people for years. Try it for three months. All in and just see. Even if it seems impossible, put God first, give the first 10% and see if God doesn't make a way where you couldn't see a way. And and now I just want to say, if God isn't real, then all your cynical thoughts that you might be having, like, oh, this is so manipulative and all that, yes, you're right. But if God is real, then maybe this is actually for your good. And I know you might not believe me, but that is my motivation in talking about this. That God is real and he's good. And you can test him. You're going to have to fight against thoughts like, I can't afford that. There's no way. It won't work. But maybe you can't because your heart won't. Maybe if your heart will, you'll find you can. You know, maybe your 90% with God's blessing is going to turn out to be way more than your 100% your own way. It's a spiritual heart issue, a choice that God says leads to the more that you really want. He wants to bless you with more. You know, um, I had a couple who emailed me, this is a number of years ago, but they, were, they had $100,000 of medical debt that they had been p- trying to pay off for years and years. And they'd always given, you know, they, they had always given, but they'd never tithed 10%. And then she emails me um, one January, and she said, this New Year's Eve, I finally said, all right, God, it's time you took this over. And I tithed 10% that night. She said, I worked straight commission. New Year's Day at 11 p.m., a contract came in. My sales manager emailed me to tell me because that doesn't happen on a holiday. The next day, another contract came in. Wednesday, a next contract. Thursday, two contracts. God has continued to bless us, accelerating, getting us out of debt. It's been amazing. They got out of all that debt in two years after trying for years to get out of it. Now, some of you, again, probably thinking, oh, you're making this up. So manipulative. But I get emails like this all the time. I have people come up and talk to me about their stories every time that I've, that I've talked about this. And by the way, we don't talk about this much. You know, if you're like, oh, churches always talk about money. Last time, I think, was like two or three years ago. Carlos said, I've been here at 18 months. You've never talked about this. 
But, it, but it's not good to never talk about it because it's a heart spiritual issue. And, and you're not going to hear it anywhere else. You know, one of, one of the emails that I loved most was from a woman who said this. She said, when you talked about 10% to God, I nearly gagged. <laughs> it was a huge blow, and I'm a new Christian. But you challenged us to do it for three months just to see if we weren't glad we did. So I took the challenge. And I have to tell you, I am blown away with what's happened. Some of my financial messes worked out in ways I could have never predicted. You know, and, and I get so many stories like that. Now, again, it's not give to get, okay? And we'll talk more about this in the weeks to come. It's trust God to see that he's good and faithful. It's about relationship, not about money. See, money's just a tool for relationship. But what we'll see, and we'll talk more about in the weeks to come, is when we are more faithful to God, God is more faithful in trusting us with more and not just for our blessing, but it's like we become God's investment bankers. We're able to like, you know, channel money all over to do more and more good in the world, even as we feel more and more blessed. And that's what he wants for all of us, I believe. You know, as I was preparing this message, um, I had this thought. It's a risky thought, but I, I decided to try it. I thought, you know, I think people don't believe me when I tell people stories. I, I wish I could just talk to all the people who have taken God at his word and trusted him, made that choice and seen him be faithful. And then I had this thought, so I'm gonna try it. If you've done that, if you have tested God at his word, put him first and tithed, what's happened to you? Has, has God been faithful or has he let you down? And here's what I wanna ask you to do, is right after the service, just take your phone out and put it on, you know, selfie video and just record a 15, 20 second, not a long video, just... I started to tithe, and here's been my experience. And then I'll just take them, and I'll, I'll play them. I'll play as many as I can the next couple weeks, just so you can hear from others and know that we didn't, you know, set it up or rig it. And if nothing comes in, then we won't hear any, I guess. <laughs> and send them, send them here. Send them to arts at gatewaychurch.com, okay? And, you know, he, the reason I thought about this is... It helps to hear other stories that God is real and that God is faithful. And this is not just church manipulation. So I hope you'll help me with that. But let me also say, I've lived this. You know, I'm not, I'm not preaching something I haven't practiced for over 35 years. I tithed when I was an engineer making great money and I kept tithing when I left engineering to go into ministry with two small kids and $38,000 a year salary. And I'm always amazed how God somehow makes it possible, somehow makes a way. And one of the things that I've seen, and so many people have seen, is you can't outgive God. Because God, first and foremost, is a giver. Well, we're going to uh, sing a song called Jireh. And it's, it's one of the names God goes by, Jehovah Jireh, God the provider. And I hope, I hope during this series you'll start to trust that, that God is good and God is a provider and as we sing this song I hope you'll think about that choice what kind of person do I want to become do I believe these principles and 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 will I choose to trust God first let me pray for us I'm going to actually turn it over to our campuses um, and I'm going to pray for us here at north God in this world um 
You know, especially in our very wealthy world, uh, money is the rival God, which is kind of ironic. But at the same time, you told us all that. But, if, but you know, in, in fact, it's not money. It's, it's when we start to trust that money can give us the things that truly you want to give us, security and peace and happiness, joy, contentment, generosity, gratitude. And Lord, those are the things we really want when we say we want more money. And thank you, God, that you're not a taker, you're a giver. And God, help us to trust you more. Help us to take a next step to trust you more in this. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.